welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Naomi Granger of Dope CFO. Ms. Granger is a co-founder of Dope CFO, the leader in cannabis accounting and tax. Ms. Granger and her co-founder, Andrew Huzinger, provided the only national training program for CPAs, enrolled agents, MBAs, bookkeepers, and CFOs who want to serve in the cannabis industry. Their program has almost 200 students and 40 states who joined via webinar. Welcome to the show, Naomi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited. I, I know the cannabis industry is growing by leaps and bounds, and we're really happy that you're on. So you have an impressive awesome. career background. Um, you have worked in public accounting along with many Fortune 500 companies. You are a certified public accountant, and you have your MBA from none other than Florida A&M University. Go Rattlers. Um, please share with us. <laughs> Um, yeah, I went to FAMU as well, so I'm pretty amped about what you're doing. Um, so please share with us your journey to co-founding an accounting and tax service company for those in the cannabis industry, and how did your career prepare you for Dope CFO? Thanks. Awesome. That's an excellent question. So when I left Florida A&M, I went straight into public accounting, and I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I was there for about four years, and then I kind of bounced around. I did some corporate accounting. I did some consulting. Um, so I did SEC filing and audits for over 12 years. And then I got to a point where I was just tired of working out of an office in a cubicle. I really wanted to be able to take vacations when I wanted to. I was tired of asking permission to go to a doctor's appointment or take a day off or work from home. Um, I wanted freedom and flexibility in my schedule, and I wanted to be able to travel the world, and I figured that I could no longer do it as an accountant. So I started doing a lot of research on starting online businesses, online marketing, all those types of things, and for a minute, I, I left corporate, and I was just um, taking training and learning. I thought I just needed to do a whole different career path. Um, and then I came across a training program that taught me how to create a remote accounting firm. And one mm. of the main key lessons in that training was in order to really have a, a scale your business and have a really successful practice, you have to pick one niche and become an expert in that one niche. And so I bounced around. I couldn't really figure out. There was no niche that I was passionate about. I looked at real estate uh, brokerages. I looked at professional athletes. I looked at manufacturers. Then I got to a point where I was like, anybody who needs help, I just need money. <laughs> I've been working for a while. <laughs> and so, so then I came across the cannabis niche, and it just took off immediately. I um. But within the first month, I was speaking on stages. I had established wow. myself as an expert pretty quickly. Um, and then we started teaching and training other people because once they started seeing me and my partner out there killing it, they wanted in and people were asking questions. So at the beginning, we were giving advice for free. And then down the road, we created this training program. And so we, we train other accountants how to do uh, cannabis accounting. Okay. You know, I, I like I appreciate your honesty because you know a lot of times in entrepreneurship, people say, 
find your passion, find what you're passionate about. And it takes time for you to find that niche for yourself. How long did it take you from when you left corporate to, you know, built CFO? That took two years. Okay. I was unemployed for two years. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, cannabis industry, I think you really hit the right path because it's going by leaps and bounds. And um, for some of the listeners who are just getting started in their business and they're trying to figure out what to focus on, how did you learn how to prioritize the most important aspects of your business? So the biggest thing that I learned when I left corporate was that I needed to work first on my mindset and Mm. really figure things out for myself because we are taught that things are supposed to go and be done a certain way through 12 years of of primary of school and then through another however four to six years of college. We are taught how to be employees. We're taught how to listen for a bell and follow rules and, um, you know, how to be perfect and not make any mistakes for your employer and all Mm. these things. And first thing I had to learn that it's okay to make mistakes. That's the only way you can figure out the solution is if you do things wrong up front. And right. so wow. I had to do a lot of, yeah, I had to do a lot of deep work. I had to really understand, I, re- I had to really believe in myself. I had to really know, know deep, deep within that I can do it, that I am worth more, that there is a lot more out there for me. And if I, whatever it is that I want, I can obtain. And it took a lot for me to just believe in myself for that. And so um, the key thing I did was I invested in myself. So I spent all those years in school, and then I had to start over and go back to school and relearn how to think for myself, how to think wow. like an entrepreneur, how to believe in myself. So, um, so yeah, so I invested in training programs. So for those two years, I wasn't working, but I was investing um, tens of thousands of dollars in, in training, um, training for online businesses, training for mindset, all of that. That is so true. You, when you really think about it, you know how they always say that you're taught to color inside the lines. Um, and that K yep. through 12 education is really teaching you to think a certain way. And when you go into entrepreneurship, it's so different. And you kind of set your own, uh, you know, chart your own course. I found that just for myself as well. It, it was a big learning curve, right? Because you're you're responsible for yourself, and then you also have to figure out how to make money at the way that you think is the best way to do it and how you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so that, I yeah. think, for me, that was a big challenge as well, too, because there are a lot of opportunities, but it has to fit what, you know, your your talents, your strengths, and how you work. Yeah, and through working for a, a corporation or a company, you're always told what you're worth. You're told what this position pays. You're told if you're accepted for a a raise or a promotion or whatever. And then when you become an entrepreneur, the most empowering thing is the moment that you tell somebody, I can do this for you and this is how much they charge. And they say, sure, let's go, go for it. It's like, (laughs) I felt like I made money out of thin air. Like I just pulled money out of thin air. I made up something like, okay, this is what I'm worth. This is what it's going to look like. And this is how much it costs. And when people sign those contracts, that was the most empowering thing. Then when that's when I knew that, you know, I could do this. Yeah. And it's a skill set that I believe everybody needs to learn how to make money for themselves. And it's not something that's necessarily taught in school. Um, so to see that you can do it for yourself, that is very empowering. So that leads me just to a question. Yeah. How do you go about finding your first customer and 
the cannabis industry and how did you know there was a need for it? So I um you so with social media these days, a lot of people uh use social media. There it is so powerful. I have made um multiple six figures on social media, on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, on Instagram, you name it. Put yourself out there. Tell people what you're doing and then reach out to people. So to find your first cannabis client, they're everywhere. So you can look on LinkedIn. They have LinkedIn profiles. You can look on the on trade publications, online uh, journals, online magazines, trade shows. There's a, a trade show at least once a month somewhere in the country with cannabis right. because it's just so hot and so new. You can – I haven't really just went by because I live in Nevada, so it's legal. We have dispensaries everywhere. I haven't really just ever just went by and walked into the dispensary to, to ask <laughs> because I just, I just figured the person wouldn't be there. But right. – um, but yeah, so just networking at the trade shows and things, and then from once you meet your first person, and once you start, we started speaking on stages. So we speak at a lot of these trade shows across right. the country, and we meet business owners there. And then they, you know, word of mouth gets around. People say, "Hey, I saw the dope CFO. They really gave us some good information. You should check them out." And so eventually, we only really marketed for one month. After wow. that, people started coming to us. And the reason why it was a little bit easier for us, this doesn't, this isn't, um, this isn't how it works in every single business, but it was a lot easier for us because there aren't a lot of accountants who will actually take on cannabis companies. Right. right. A lot of accountants are afraid of the risk. Um, and so they have a hard time finding accountants that will take them on. Right. Right. And yeah. also the, your name is such a catchy company, Dope CFO. I, you know, oh, like, you. <laughs> you think of marijuana, but you also think of, like, hip-hop culture. You know, that's dope. So that's a pretty neat name. Well, what yep. are some of the biggest accounting challenges um, you find that cannabis business owners face on a daily basis? I know that, you know, state by state is legal, and I'm sure that could be a big issue. And if they want to reinvest in another company, I'm not sure how that works. You know, it, it just seems uh -huh. very uh unclear of how they could use their funds. Yeah, so the biggest challenges are, number one, it's still federally illegal, and mm -hmm. so they have issues with getting banking. They can't get a bank account. So how are you going to run a multi-million dollar company with cash? Um, right. That's one of the biggest issues. And then not only can't they get a bank account, most financial service providers won't service them. They can't just get Stripe account or a PayPal account or a POS, QuickBooks POS systems in their stores, they have to find software that will are, is actually cannabis-friendly and will actually take their cash. Simple things like payroll processing, payroll companies won't service them. Accounting wow. software won't service them. And the companies that will service them are, like, brand new to the market. And so a lot of them have a lot of bugs and kinks in their software. And so you have reconciliation issues and nightmares, and there's just a lot of things that aren't really clean when it comes to this industry because they're heavily cash and the, the software is just, just subpar that actually will handle their transactions. Wow. That just seems like a big hurdle every which way. I just can't imagine opening yeah. a dispensary. You can't find a POS system. Like, that is mind-boggling. How, how do they operate? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they so they operate either by cash um, and manual data entry, um, and you do have instances like we've had clients where 
they thought they found a POS system, but that POS system did not disclose to their own bank that they were operating cannabis companies. And then when their bank found this out, they just completely shut them down across the country. So our owner opened shop the next day and their POS system is completely down and shut down. So now they're scrambling, trying to figure out how we're going to run business today and finding a new one. So they put a lot of these dispensaries, I'm sure they just have a regular cash register and they just write down their, you know, keep do it manually in Excel probably? So there are some. Um, one is called GreenBit. Um, that's one that a lot of our, our clients use. Um, okay. So they do do it. So they, there are um, POS systems. The only thing is they're, you know, brand new to the market. They've only been operating for two years. And so, oh. you know, their reports are not easy to, to, to follow. Uh, their information is not always accurate inside their reports, so it's just a lot of bugs and kinks still in that software. Right. Well, it seems like a wide open space, um, especially because a lot of accountants don't want to deal with um, this industry uh, because it's federally illegal. But what opportunities exist? I know you guys train a lot of um, uh, professionals. What opportunities exist for individuals who would like to learn the accounting practices in the cannabis industry, someone out there who may have a bookkeeping service or they might be an accountant and they want to add this to their services, how would, uh, how, what opportunities do you think they have there? Yeah, there's tons of opportunities. So um, first you have, um, you have a big, this is a huge industry. It's a nearly a $20 billion industry legal and then Seven, they're, they're estimating upwards of $70 billion in the black market or the illegal market that's still operating in the country. And so, but, I mean, we wouldn't handle the illegal market at all. I wouldn't touch that at all. But for the legal market, that's still, there's a $20 billion industry. So right now, they're, we are the only company that's actually teaching accounting in this space because nobody knows. It's still being developed. Laws are still being developed. It's still federally illegal. There are 33 states that have it medically legal, and then 11 of those 33 states are also recreational or adult use um, and medical. And so there's an opportunity to go into these different states, no matter where you are in the country, you can be in any state, an illegal state, and it's a completely remote business. So you can go and get clients. If you live in Texas, you can hit up Oklahoma because Texas is illegal, but Oklahoma just issued 3,000 licenses last wow. summer. And right. And Oklahoma is a very conservative state. A lot of those accountants don't even want to touch this. And so there's right. a huge need for accountants in that space. So you don't have to be a CPA. You don't have to have any special certification because you're not going to learn cannabis accounting on your CPA exam. You're not going to learn it on your EA exam. You're, we are the only people that are teaching it right now. And so it's, this is something that you're just going to learn from the School of Hard Knocks. We learned because there's a court case that was just filed that says, you know, this company, this didn't pass, you know, through the court system. The IRS won this. And so we, we look at those and we say, okay, let's adjust what we're doing. This isn't flying anymore. Um, so we're just learning based on, you know, what's being passed and what's going, what's, what's going through the different court systems. Oh, okay. Okay. So they, in, in your program, if someone's getting trained through you, they still have access to you to know what, you know, what's going on in the industry and what they should look for. Oh, yeah. So our, the way our training is set up, it's an online training where you have access to a lot of the documents, a lot of the rules. It's all it's, um, the federal laws on how to do proper accounting uh, for federal law. We don't have state-specific training because the state laws 
keep changing. They change every quarter just about, and they're still being developed. So it, okay. whatever state you target, you'll have to become familiar with that. But then as new stuff comes out federally, if there's a new court case that the IRS lost or won, we have a live portion of the training as well where we do Q&A calls. Um, we have a, a, a live VIP group where you can go in there and you can ask questions in the group and get your questions answered by either myself, Andrew, or somebody else. We have over oh, awesome. 360. Yeah, we have over 360 firms um, that are in the training program, and so a lot of times there are things that they, you know, another person might know a little bit more about than what Andrew and I know because they they're coming across this on their client. We might not come right. across that on our client. Right. Tank of just professionals who are becoming experts in this industry. Wow. Yeah, you know, there's always that story of, you know, the gold miners, you know, the people who really made the money were the people who were selling to the gold miners. And with the cannabis industry, there's so many opportunities, even if you're not an actual um, dispensary. And this is very uh, unique. Um, I didn't even think about this, but the space that you're in, it makes so much sense. And to be able to empower other people to do this. And, um, you know, I grew up in a very conservative background. And I know there's a stigma around um, cannabis. And do you find that you have to um, overcome that a bit in your community, uh, being that this is the space that you're working in? What opportunities exist for individuals who like to learn the accounting practices in the cannabis industry? Yeah, awesome. So we do teach how to do proper accounting um, in the cannabis industry. Uh, wait, I think I answered this before we jumped off, and you asked a supplemental question after that. Right. So, you know, you, you, you know, you said there's something a... about the shovels and the miners, and then we went off. Oh, there. yeah, <laughs> the gold. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, people who are mining yeah. for gold, and um, there's, you know, you can make money off of people mining for gold. You don't necessarily have to sell gold to um, make money. And I think with the cannabis industry, um, you don't necessarily have to be a dispensary, but you could actually um, uh, create an industry uh, for the people who are in the business. Yeah, and what I tell a lot of people, so they say for every $1 that's spent inside of a dispensary, that brings $3.5 into our economy. And wow. so because these business owners, yeah, these business owners, they have to pay rent. Oh. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Oh, somehow I turned on my windshield wiper. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so for every $1 that's spent inside of a dispensary, that brings $3.5 into our local economy because these business owners, they're paying taxes. They have payroll. They have accountants. They have attorneys. They have to pay rent. There's just so much um, money that they have to spend to actually operate their business. And so I tell the accountants who are interested in getting into this, like, you just think about it. Like, back when the car was first created, that just opened up a whole new economy. Now you need roads. Now you need motels. Now you need gas stations and mechanics and tires and all these things. That's the same thing that's happening with the cannabis industry. It's just opening an entirely new economy. Right. And, you know. And I saw an article. Uh, just one more thing. I saw an yeah. article that says in 2018, the cannabis industry brought 211,000 jobs to the U.S. Wow. Yes. That's, that That is pretty impressive. And especially being that, you know, I, I'm coming from a very conservative background. 
and just, you know, talking about the cannabis industry and my family, it kind of raises eyebrows. How has it been for you, you know, being that that's the company, your company is dope CFO and you're servicing the cannabis industry. Have you faced any stigma from the community that that's what you do? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I don't really care what other people think, <laughs> but um, I do have some family members. I was at a family reunion last year, and I mentioned to one of my aunties that that's what I do, and she looked at me so sideways, and she was like, <laughs> well, I guess it's okay. Your mom's okay with it, so I guess it's okay, and then I kind of mentioned to her, she said she had some type of issue. I don't know if it was glaucoma or something. I was like, well, you should try it. <laughs> you should probably try it out because it's a, it's a medicine. It's very helpful, and we're seeing a lot of the baby boomers who, and that's the reason why they make the dispensaries so so nice and, and um, modern looking so that you can feel comfortable and not, you know, feel trashy walking in because they know there's a lot of baby boomers who have arthritis and different things that this medicine can, can heal and they're entering them for the first time and they don't want to feel intimidated. Um, right. So I, I think, yeah, I think about it as it's this, this great drug. Um, I really, a great medicine that I think is helping a lot of people. I've never in my life thought it was something that was so terrible. I'm not a user or anything. Um, right. It just doesn't do anything for me, but I've never thought of it as, like it's something that's so terrible um, growing up in my life. It was kind of common in my community um, for people to use, but right. But yeah, I don't really, I don't really, I don't really care what other people think about yeah. <laughs> about it. Eventually, people will come around because if you look at what's happening, like you know, all these people were locked up, and now the government is trying to um, for trying to or give them forgiveness for that or whatever. And it's like now that it's legal, now oh, okay, it's okay, like. People need to be able to think for them for themselves. If it's legal or not, just think for yourselves and and figure out how you feel about it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. and not all. And I think there's another aspect of it. Not all of the usage of it leads to um, you know making you high, so to speak. Um, it, it's really a chemical that they remove, from what I understand, that um, you could use for medicinal purposes, right? Yeah, so you can, re you can, the CBD, so the, the cannabis has, um, CBD, well, several different chemicals in there, but some of the bigger ones is CBD and THC. So the THC is the stuff that makes you high, but the CBD is the actual medicine. And so a lot of times you can extract the CBD and it has very, very little THC in it. Almost like if you think about kombucha, how they say it contains some alcohol because it's right. fermented, um, it's the same thing. So the CBD does have a little bit of THC, but it's not enough to, to impair you or make you high. And CBD is what they give to, like, kids that have epilepsy, and it helps them right. with their, um, epilepsy uh, to pre prevent them from having seizures and things. And um, so, yeah, you can just use that and not even and get high and still get the benefits. Right, right. It's, it's amazing what's going on. Um, and, you know, leading to one of the last questions is that um, you recently wrote an amazing article on LinkedIn, and I love the picture with you and Snoop Dogg, and it was entitled, I Made This Happen and So Can You. You mentioned don't worry about the how as long as you have the what. Can you share with our listeners how focusing on what got you to where you are? I mean, the article was about you meeting Snoop Dogg, and, um, and you've always wanted to meet him, and... Um, you could go into it further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
this came through those two years when I was unemployed and doing a lot of mindset work. And I feel like through, you know, ed my education system and through working, a lot of times we get stuck on uh, things aren't possible because we don't know how to make it happen. So mm. if I say, you know, I'm going to go meet Snoop Dogg, is somebody else next to me would be like, well, that's not logical. He's not yeah. like right around the corner. <laughs> people want to, people want to know, well, how are you going to make that happen? And through my mindset work, I just, I know that I know as long as I tell myself enough times that I'm going to meet him, that it's going to happen. That as long as I know deep down inside that he wants to meet me, I told, I told myself, <laughs> why wouldn't Snoop want to meet the dope CFO? Exactly. <laughs> like, that makes it's just sense. natural. <laughs> it's just natural he wants to meet me. And so I told myself that, and then it just so happened he was in town for a concert, and my best friend, I told her, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to the the concert so I can go meet him. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I gotta meet him. I'm the dope CFO. And so then it turned out she was like, okay, well I'll go. And then she told somebody, and they were like, oh, I know the owner of that club. Oh, I said, wow. oh, okay. And he said, yeah, I'll call him. He could get up on the stage. And so he called the owner. The owner, we walked in. The owner got us on the stage, and there's me hanging out with Snoop. So I didn't know. I didn't know that I was going to meet the owner. I just knew I was going to meet Snoop. I knew what I was going to do. I was going to meet Snoop no matter what. And so it just worked out because it, that's just, I just believe that's how the universe works. Because whatever you focus on is what you're going to get. So if I'm focusing on, yeah, so I'm just a little peon. Snoop doesn't have any interest in meeting me. Right. That's what's going to happen. I'm never going to meet him because I'm not going to tell anybody that. And I'm not going to be able to meet the people who can actually introduce me to him. Right, right, right. Wow. Yeah. And, and you told him that you were the dope CFO. What did he say? I'd love to know his reaction. Oh, well, I didn't really get to talk to him a lot because he was, um, it was the concert. Oh, and yeah. And so he yeah. performed, and then he came down. I got a picture, and then I talked to his people. Okay, And gotcha. so then I, I talked to some of his people, and they said that they can set up a meeting for me, and I actually just got an email um, it's on my Facebook. I didn't put it on my LinkedIn, but I just got a message from one of them, and they said that um, he's, he um, may be able to meet with me early September. Uh, he'll be coming to, to Vegas. So, so I'm just, I'm just hope. I don't know if the guy is, is serious or not, but I'm right. just in my mind. Okay, I know. I mean, I know he wants to meet me. I got some great opportunities for him. Exactly. <laughs> so Snoop, if you're listening, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right, though. I think sometimes we do focus too much on the how, and then we we get really frustrated because we don't know the how. And there's a lot of things you don't know that you don't know. And it's even yep. better that you don't know everything because you probably won't do it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So what challenges have you faced while being self-employed that entrepreneurs and entrepreneur hopefuls should be aware of today? So it's 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 not as it's not very easy. I mean, you a lot of we're we're raised to want things guaranteed and things to just um, you know have a clear path on exactly how this is going to happen. So we have a training program and we have students who come into the training program and we get on the phone with them and they're like thinking about oh I want to leave my corporate job or oh I want to try this and they want us to guarantee that they're going to land five clients and make. Uh, six figures and do all this. There are no guarantees. 
Right. There aren't even any guarantees when you go to university that you're going to come out with a job. That's so very true. You have. It's all about you know what you the work that you put in. I mean, you can go to the same university and one person comes out as a CEO of something, the other person comes out as a staff person. Right. You know, it's it's all about the amount of work and effort that you put into it. And so, you know, the, the challenge is, is just believing in yourself. Um, a lot of times people, when they're starting a business, they're thinking, okay, first I've got to get my, I've got to figure out what my name is and then get my business license and get my business cards and get my website set up, some flyers and all this stuff. And they're focusing on all these things rather than just focusing on, let me make my first dollar. Let me yeah. even see if anybody wants this thing. And so we tell a lot of people, don't, you know, don't worry about your website. Put something on your LinkedIn profile, and if somebody asks you more information, tell them to go to your LinkedIn profile. That's good enough. And then get them, you know, show them that you can solve their problems, which is the number one thing. If you can solve somebody's problem, they will pay you to do that. If they will pay you to solve their problem, now you know you have a uh, a viable business. And then once you start making enough money, now you can think about building a website. Because before you make money, you don't even know what to put on the website because you don't even know what exactly the people are going to pay you for. You might have an idea that I want to sell widgets, but then when you talk to them, they might say, I want you to operate the widget for me. I don't want you to just sell it to me. And right. so now you have a whole different business. So um, the the key advice is to just go out there and um, and do it. Start making your first dollar, and then worry about the back end and all that other stuff that you need to do. That is true. I mean, I I find that a lot of times, and I've done that before. You know, get caught up in the branding rather than just getting your first client. And I think once you get yeah. your first client, it is very empowering. You're like, okay. I got this. Or, you know, it gives you feedback if you are doing the right or wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this leads us to our rapid-fire questions just for the listeners to get an idea of, um, uh, you know, you as a person. So the first question is, favorite movie? The Founder. The Founder. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Have you that was a it? very good movie. Very good movie. It just teaches so much about perseverance and you know he Ray Kroc was freaking 55 years old yeah. before he started working with McDonald's he couldn't sell a freaking um what was it the milkshake, milkshake machine to save, to save his life and then finally he just completely took it so there's so many business and life lessons in that movie yeah and I although I didn't like him as a person but the mere fact yeah. that he was 55 years old doing this and also the fact that he couldn't sell milkshake, no matter how much he tried, he was listening to all these health help, you know, tapes and recordings, and that wasn't what he was supposed to be doing as well. I mean, there are so many nuggets. Another movie I yeah. recently watched was um, um, Greatest Showman. I'm not sure if you watched that. I haven't. Oh, but, I don't, no, I don't think I've. Who's that? Um, it's about uh, P.T. Barnum, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Oh, no, I haven't seen that one. It's really good. Yeah, my kids kept telling me, oh, Mommy, you got to watch it, you got to watch it. And then when I watched it, I was so inspired. As an entrepreneur, it's a really good movie. Um, But The Founder, that's Uh very good. Uh, The next question, uh, favorite book? So The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, that was really good. It's one, it's because... That has always been in the back of my head. Like, I read it back 
when it was first published early 2000s. And mm-hmm. it has always been in the back of my head that this is what I want. Like I want this vacation, semi-retired lifestyle, work for my computer and stuff. And right. so I kept the what in my head. I just didn't know how or why, how to do right. it. Um, now I figured out the how, but I knew the what a long time ago. And I'm sure corporate America seems so far away from you right now to have that freedom. Oh, my gosh. I don't even think that I'm employable anymore. I mean, I'm just <laughs> – I'm such a – and you can tell by the industry I'm in. I'm just such a rule breaker. I don't like being told what to do. <laughs> and so it was so tough for me as an employee. <laughs> no more water cooler conversations. No more of that, you know, sucking yeah. traffic. Yeah. Looking for your two weeks vacation. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. If you were to host a dinner party, who would you want to invite? Oh my gosh, that one is. I mean, I want everybody, but <laughs> I would really want. I would really want like it's between like the Obamas and Oprah. Yeah. Yeah, between them. Yeah. Well, you got both, right? They're or friends. They can all come. They're, they're all friends, so they can all come. <laughs> Thank you. 